What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Around the NBA, a podcast where I get my thoughts on the latest news, transactions, teams, and players across the league. So the first week of the NBA season is now a wraps. We are now into the second week of the regular season, and I felt like the first week was actually pretty good. I'm not going to lie. We had some pretty good games. We had some games going to overtime. Um, we've had some surprise teams, both good and bad. <laughs> we've seen some players come off, you know, uh, start off real hot. You know, some stars, some superstars already looking real good. Um, and then some not looking that great. <laughs> but overall, man, I thought the first week of the season was actually pretty good. And I was just sitting here and thinking, you know, I haven't watched this much basketball during opening week in a long time. Like, I felt like I watched a ton of basketball this first week of the season um, to the point where I haven't even watched some of the games <laughs> into the second week. Um, but yeah, man, I felt like that was a, uh, that was going to be a point of emphasis for me this season that I wanted to watch a lot more basketball than I did last year. And not to say I didn't watch a lot of games last year. I, I did, but I felt like I watched a lot of the primetime games or just a lot of the top eight, top 10, even top 12 teams. I didn't really pay the whole lot of attention to the bottom of the barrel, a lot of the lottery pick teams. Um, to be quite honest with you, but I wanted to change that for this for this season. So I felt like um, I wanted to start off on the right foot. <laughs> so I watched a ton of games this week, um, and I'm going to try to keep that up with uh, you know all season long. Uh, so because of that, I actually have a new segment that I want to introduce, and I'm going to talk about that later once I get to it. But yeah, man, uh, it, so far the first week of the season has been good. Um, but talking about uh, this week um, and this week's episode. Uh, so some of the topics I want to discuss are obviously the first week of the season and just some of the teams that kind of stood out to me. Um, and I, I got two in particular um, that I want to discuss, uh, as well as was the bubble the highest form of basketball that we have ever seen? And the third one is, of course, the new segment that I want to introduce. It's called Team of the Week. And I'm going to discuss a little bit about that once I get there. So with that being said, man, let's get right into these topics. So the first topic for this week's episode is my surprise teams through the first week of the season. Now, obviously, there's not enough time to talk about a handful of teams, so I only picked two. Okay, and these were genuinely my biggest surprises, um, and that is the Philadelphia 76ers and the LA Lakers. Um, why are these two were my biggest surprises? Well, for example... I, I knew the Lakers weren't going to be good. I just didn't think they were going to be as bad as they've been. And the Sixers are the opposite. <laughs> I thought they were going to be good, but I didn't think they were going to be bad and as bad as they are. <laughs> so both of these teams have been my biggest surprises. Now, there's a couple of other teams that were surprises in a good way. Uh, one of them I'm going to talk about later on, and the other one um, I'm going to talk about probably next week. So I'm holding off on them for now. But through the first week... This these were my biggest surprises, and and here's why. So we'll start off with the Sixers. I feel like the Sixers can definitely turn it around. Uh, you know, I have them in the playoffs. Uh, I think I'm had them as a fifth seed in the East, and I definitely do think they can turn it around because they have some good things going for them. Okay, so some of the some of the good things that that they have going for them right now. The best thing I think for sure is James Harden is looking like what I said he would have to look like in order for this team to be successful, okay? He's averaging like 27 points a game, nine assists, and eight boards. And I think he's almost close to 10 boards, or, or excuse me, 10 assists. So he's almost averaging a 
28 point triple double. All right, he's like a 27 point. I think he's like a 26.8. Excuse me. So he's averaging almost a 27 point triple double, and he's shooting 63 true shooting right now. He's got a 63 percent true shooting percentage. That is pretty freaking good. Like his per right now, his per is like at 26, I believe, um, which is also very good. So he's not not exactly the James Harden of Houston, averaging 32, 35 points a game. But I said he had to look something similar, not as much points because he's got Joel Embiid there. But if he can get you anywhere between 25 to 27, 26 to 28 points a game and his seven, eight assists and not even necessarily eight boards, but, you know, that's great. But if he can get you six, seven boards and this efficiency, that's what I said. Yeah, they can have some success. And he's playing a little bit better, if not basically where I said he'd have to be at. So that's good. He's he's scoring the most amount of points per game that he has since his last full year in Houston. I'm not going to say his last year in Houston because when he got, he was still part of Houston when he got traded to, um, and he got traded in the middle of the season and technically his last year in Houston, he got traded in the middle of the season to Brooklyn and he ended up only averaging like 24 points a game. But his last year in Houston, he was averaging, I think like 28, 29, something along those lines. So right now he's averaging 27. So he's averaging the most amount of, the most points he's had in the last two seasons. He's the most efficient he's been in the last two or three seasons. So James Harden is playing very, very good. So that's that's probably the best thing they have going for them right now. The other thing is Tyrese Maxey. Now, I know there was a lot of hype behind Maxey last year, but I didn't watch a whole lot of Sixers games last year, to be quite honest with you. So I didn't really watch Maxey play. Um, I know this is his third year in the league, but I've seen a couple of games from them this 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 year already. I saw their opener against Boston, and I saw their game again the other night against um, Toronto. And and Maxi man, he's he's looking real good. Like I can see the hype behind him. He's probably the fastest player on the court whenever he's out there. He's got a quick first step. Um, he can finish at the rim, not above the rim, but you know with the layup. You know he he's got a decent jump shot. He's got he doesn't have the craziest dribbles, but he can create his own shot. You know, he's averaging 17 points a game. The only thing about him is that he he's not very efficient right now. I think he's averaging like 40. He's in the mid-40 percentage for field goal percentage. I don't have that. I should have wrote it down. But I know his 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 efficiency isn't the greatest. But his talent and skill-wise and, and putting up 17 points a game, that's very good for a third-year pro or for a third-year player. And he's basically right now he's technically the third third option, but he's on the roster on the, on, on paper, he's like their fourth option. Right, because you would think Tobias Harris is the third option, but however you want to look at it, Tobias Harris and 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 Maxi, they're both playing very good right now, which leads me to my next point of Tobias. He's also playing solid. He's averaging like 15 points a game, um, 42% from three. He's taking like six and a half uh, attempts from three. Um, he has an effective field goal percentage of over 60%. So he's playing very efficient. Like he's only averaging 15 points a game, but they're getting a combined. 32 points a game between Tyrese Maxey and, and Tobias Harris. Now, Tobias, I feel like maybe he can average a couple more points, but I'm not going to, you know, <laughs> knock him for that. I'm not going to be that critical. I think 15 points a game is pretty solid considering he's shooting pretty well. He's shooting 42%, like I said, from three with six and a half attempts. And <laughs> this is a side note because I, I, I kind of noticed it before. I just never talked about it. But Tobias Harris's jump shot is eerily similar to Russell Westbrook's like the mechanics are extremely similar the only thing is Tobias's shot goes in <laughs> okay that's the biggest difference between Tobias Harris and Russell Westbrook's jump shot but other than that 
they're pretty spot on. Like the mechanics, the point of, of release, um, their base, it's very similar. It's a very similar jump shot, which is kind of crazy. So can Russell Westbrook really shoot better? Yeah, I think so. If you're seeing Tobias Harris, now Tobias Harris is taller, but you know, I don't think it that should really play a role considering that their mechanics are essentially the same. But those are the those are the three things I think Philly has going for them that's very good and very positive. And I think that's why they can really turn it around. I don't know how long, but they can definitely turn it around. Now, here are the bad things. <laughs> the most obvious one, I think it's Joel Embiid. Now, if you look at his box score, and if you looked at his stats, he's actually putting up decent stats. He's averaging like 27 points a game, um, basically 11 boards, uh, but he's averaging less points than he has than in the last two seasons. And I just feel like his impact just isn't there. There's just something missing from him this season that I haven't seen from him um, for the last two years, right? Like right now he's averaging a career low in three-point percentage um, and effective field goal percentage, and he has the second lowest true shooting percentage of his career, okay? So he has the lowest three-point percentage, lowest effective field goal percentage, and second lowest true shooting percentage of his career. So that tells me he's not playing very efficiently right now. PER is also the lowest it's been in like the last three seasons. Um, he's also only averaging nine free throws a game as opposed to he was averaging 12 last year, essentially 12. It was like just under 12 and basically 11 free throws the year before. So there's just something about Joel right now that is just, is just not clicking. And while I was watching the Toronto game, they did mention that he was be dealing with some uh, plantar fasciitis, I think, in the preseason. So that could be an issue. And he may not be 100% healthy. But overall, you can tell there's something wrong with Joel. Even defensively, there's just there's just something there right now um, that, that, that doesn't look like the Joel from the last two seasons. So I think if you can turn it around, the Sixers are going to turn it around as well. Uh, the other bad thing that's going for them, it's just a team as a, 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 as a team in general. They're only 15th in offense, like 15th um, in the league as an offense. So they're literally average. And their defense is 19th. They're ranked 19th in the league. So they're below average. So them as a team isn't great. They have like a net rating of like negative one point something, almost two points a game, which means they're being outscored by two almost two points a game. Okay. So overall, their team isn't great. And I think the third thing that that that's kind of needs to be fixed is their head coach. I think Doc needs to go. I think they need a new head coach. I don't think Doc is the right man for the team. I don't think Doc is the right right man for this personnel. I've never been a huge fan of Doc, to be honest with you. Um, so I I I think they need a, they need a change of uh, of a head coach and. If they continue this at this rate, I mean, they're on pace to win 16 games this year. <laughs> I don't think that's going to stick, but um, right now they're 1-4, and four, so through five games, they've only won one game. I don't think he makes it to 10, 10 games this year if he only wins one more game within the next 10 games. So if he gets to a point where it's 2-8, and eight, he's gone. Like, he's going he's gonna to be fired before they even get to that point. So for his, for his sake, he better hope that they turn around quickly. I haven't looked at their schedule. I don't know who they're playing up next in the next in the next couple of games, but they need a lot of help. <laughs> he needs a lot of help if he wants to stay as the head coach of the Philadelphia Sixers because I I can totally see them being firing them firing him if it gets to a point where they're like one and seven or one and eight. 
So he's got maybe, I, I believe, he's got maybe a two or three game window here to turn it around. He's going to go on a little run, at least like a two or three game window so he can get back to like three and four, almost 500. Otherwise, he's gone. So overall, I think they, they have the correct pieces as a team, as the players, to turn it around. Like Harden's playing well, Maxi's playing well, Tobias is playing well. So three out of your top four players are playing well. Your most important player right now is a little off. He's still putting up stats, but he's not. It seems like he may not be 100%, and hopefully he can turn around sooner rather than later. So I, that's why I believe that the Sixers will be fine. Like, they can turn it around. How long is it going to take? We'll see. Like, last year, the Celtics were 25 and 25 before they turned it around, and then they got they ended up as a second seed out east. So at this point, I'm not hitting the panic button just yet on the Sixers. Now, as far as the other team I wanted to talk about, the Lakers, yeah, I think it's time to hit that panic button with them. I really do. Um, I know it's really early, but they haven't won a game. <laughs> They are winless right now. And I'm not going to say that they are the worst team in the league, but they have a case for it. And you can, I, I think they might be because they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis and they still can't win a game. Like, that's how bad the Lakers are right now. They are horrendous. They are atrocious. They are garbage. <laughs> they, they really are. They have the third worst bench in the league. Okay. They are top 10. And three points and three point attempts, but they're dead last and three point percentage. They are the worst shooting team in the league by far. They're only making like 21, I think it's, I'll give them 22%, 22% from three. And then the second to last team is like at 30 something percent. So there's a huge gap. There's a decent gap there, to be honest with you. So they are the worst shooting team in the league. Statistically, they have the worst offense in the league. They're third. They're ranked thirtieth. Like their offense is god awful. Okay, and now let me preface what I'm about to say about Russ, <laughs> because I hate the fact that Russ has become the scape the scapegoat there. Like it's easy to pick on Russ whenever you know they lose, which has been every game this season. Everyone wants to talk about Russ except for the first game of the season because he played pretty well. But outside of that, oh, it's Russ this, Russ that. I hate this. I hate this this notion of Russ being the scapegoat because the entire team is trash. And I you can be critical of Russ, but don't be hating. There's a difference between critical and hating. Now, what's the difference? When I'm saying hating, when someone calls him Westbrook, like, really? Really? And when people just focus in on, oh, he shot uh, uh, 0 for 11, right? And, and, and people just not holding the other team the rest of the team accountable like i just said they have the, the third worst bench in the league they're the worst shooting team in the league and somehow some way it's russ's fault now don't get me wrong russ is playing awful too <laughs> okay he's playing terrible he has a point eight point seven per you know every player starts with a 15 per every single player in this league to start the season is at a 15 per meaning at average, the players, an average player is giving you 15, uh, a 15% or a 15-point player efficiency rating. Okay? So when you hear, like, Jokic was, like, at 30, when Giannis is, like, at 30, James Harden this season's like, at 26, 27, right? That's showing how much better they are than the average player. Russell Westbrook is at 8.7. And the average is 15. Like, everyone starts at 15. 
So his player efficiency rating, he's clearly hurting his team. His win shares per 48 minutes is a negative, meaning that he's actually causing his team to lose when he's out there, when he's playing. But guess what? The rest of the team is too. Because <laughs> they haven't won a game. But statistically, Russ is causing his team to lose when he's out on the floor. Again, you can be critical of Russ, but also hold that same energy for the rest of the team because the rest of the team is just awful. It's not just Russ. The rest of the team can't shoot, not just Russ. So that that's all I'm trying to say. Like, you can be critical of Russ, but hold the rest of the team accountable as well. Like, this team is just atrocious now. They also have a couple of things going for them right now. They do have the third best defense in the league, or fourth. They're another top four. I think they're fourth best defense in the league right now. Pretty good. AD is playing, I think he's playing statistically slightly worse in his first four games this year than he did last year, but he's still playing decent. His defense is pretty good through the first four games, so that's a positive, right? Now, he did, <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw this, when he went up for a dunk against, uh, who were they playing? I don't remember who they were playing. They were playing the other night. Um, he went up for a dunk, and he came down, and he was holding his back. <laughs> like, mm, that's 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 a little scary. Oh, it was against the Nuggets, the game against the Nuggets. But he still had, he still had a solid game. I think he had, like, I don't know his stat. I don't have his stats with me in front of me, but I think he had like 30 points, 28 points or something like that. So AD's having a solid year so far through the first four games. Him and LeBron James are the only ones that doing are doing anything. But the rest of the team, man, it's awful. And I just don't think they're going to turn it around. They Their team is just so bad. And like I said last week, I had them as a play-in team. And I said, even if they traded Russ for a Buddy Heald or a Miles Turner, I don't see them making a big difference. This team is just that bad. Like, they can trade Russ and get those guys. Those guys aren't going to make them all of a sudden become a, a good shooting team. Like, they're going to get sh- good shooters and Buddy Heald, and Miles Turner can hit, you know, a knockdown shot from here or there, but that's not going to drastically change them. They're not going to go from dead last in three-point percentage to middle of the pack all of a sudden. Like, that's just not going to happen. So, and unless they start to hit their shots, they're on pace of going 0-82. <laughs> like, that is insane. So, overall, man, these two teams... Not off to a great start. I do see the Sixers turning it around. I don't know long, how long it'll take for them to turn it around, but they will. As far as the Lakers, I think their season's already done for, and we're only four games in. I think their season is out the window <laughs> because I just don't see them being able to make enough trades or in, and make an, a big enough change on this roster that all of a sudden make them competitive. I just don't see it. So, yeah, man, the first week, these two teams, not good. So the next topic of conversation is the bubble. And you guys are probably wondering, why are you talking about the bubble three years after it happened or two years after it happened? (laughs) Um, Well, that's because two players have had the same sentiment in regards to the bubble within the last week or two. And I just wanted to, you know, talk about it because I found it kind of interesting. So about maybe two weeks ago, uh, Jamal Murray was on, I believe her name is Taylor Rooks. Um, she has a podcast on Bleacher Report. He was on her show, and I don't watch it, so I don't know the name of it. But he had said something along the lines of the bubble was probably the highest level of competition in terms of an NBA game, something along those lines. Basically saying the bubble was very high quality of basketball and 
when I first heard that, I was like, you know, <laughs> I found it a little skeptical. I'm like, Jamal Murray had a great bubble run. Okay, he had a couple of 50 ball games in there in the playoffs. Um, he had a nice little run in the bubble, right? He he kind of put himself on the map during his run in the bubble. Um, the Nuggets made the Western Conference Finals in the bubble. So I'm like, you know, of course I'm going to be a little skeptical. I'm like, of course he's going to try to validate it and try to, you know, make it seem like it was, you know, <laughs> it was very difficult considering it was his best performance in basketball, right? It was like the, 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 his his it was his peak up to this point, right? Like he was playing his best basketball in the bubble. So I'm like, okay, I can see why Jamal would say that. But I was skeptical. Fast forward about a week later. Um, Donovan Mitchell is on JJ Reddick's podcast, The Old Man of Three. Now I do watch that one. And I know I've talked about it before on the show on here. If you guys don't watch it, definitely recommend you guys watching it. So basically JJ brings up Jamal Murray's comments um, and Donovan agrees. And the reason why he brought it up was because if you guys remember, it was Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell met each other in the playoffs. I think it was the first round. Pretty sure it was the first round where they were going back and forth and they had a great series guarding each other, going up against each other. And Donovan basically agreed with what Jamal said. He said, yeah, I mean, uh, it was one of the highest forms of basketball. Like the level of competition definitely rose. Now, obviously I did hear what Donovan had to say, like in terms of, why he felt that way and basically what he was saying was because you were they were in this bubble for three months all they could do was eat drink sleep dream basketball like that was it there was nothing else for them to do in this bubble they just played their games and then they would go and eat or go to the hotel room sleep wake up in the morning go practice or work out maybe have a game again in the afternoon right it was literally that the way he called it was like a it was like a camp <laughs> the highest level of 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 form the highest form of basketball camp and i can see that right cuz that's all they're doing that they're literally just playing basketball that's all they're focusing on that's all they're concentrating on that's all that's what they're locked in on so he's like there's no outside distractions there's no this there's no that everyone was just so zoned in everyone was just so locked in on basketball so that raised the level of competition when he put it that way, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> I can see where they're coming from. Because even a few years ago, I'm sure you guys remember this, when LeBron James came out and he said that the bubble was one of the most difficult championships that anybody could have won. And what he was saying was basically, you know, it, it was kind of, you know, uh, mentally exhausting. You're being locked up in this bubble. You're locked up in this hotel. You can't see friends. You can't see family. You can't go anywhere. It's literally just that. So he was kind of coming from the standpoint of it was mentally draining. It was mentally exhausting. And <laughs> again, I was skeptical because I'm like, of course, LeBron's going to say that because he won the championship and everybody was trying to invalidate that ring. And he was, of course, trying to validate that ring. So that's how it was coming off to me. Obviously, it may come off as being a little hater. <laughs> and I'm not going to deny that. But, you know. When I hear these things, I'm like, it, it, I, I get a little skeptical because I'm like, of course, the guys who are playing their greatest, right? The guy who won the championship is going to want to, you know, uplift this competition, right? Or uplift the bubble. <laughs> but obviously, I wasn't there, right? Obviously, I'm not a ball player. I, I don't play in the NBA. Um, so I don't know what it was like, right? But I, what I will say is this. 
the bubble is very different, obviously, than a regular NBA season in the regular playoffs. And there's two big things that I feel like are, are being undermined. And the biggest thing to me that I feel like people don't talk about, but I know the players talk about it all the time, especially when you, you hear their interviews, like on podcasts and stuff like that, is the traveling. Like they complain about the traveling. They don't complain about it, but they do pinpoint and, and point out that it's exhausting. And I get it, right? Imagine you're, you're playing one game in the East Coast, whether it's, I don't know, Washington or Miami, and then you have to travel across the country to like Minnesota uh, or what have you, in Michigan, Chicago, you know, you have to travel and you have a back-to-back game. You got to play the next day in a different city across the country. Or you're playing in Cali and you got to travel all the way to the East Coast or East Coast to the West Coast. Like, I can see how that's daunting, right? I can see how that's exhausting for a player. And obviously, they didn't have to go through that in the bubble. <laughs> they traveled from the, the, the gym, like the basketball gym, to the hotel room, to the hotel room, to <laughs> the hotel lobby or or food court or wherever, and then they would go to the actual gym to work out, and that was literally it, right? There was absolutely absolutely no traveling, right? So they completely eliminated that from <laughs> from 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 the difficulty, right? From the level of difficulty. The second thing is the fans. I think the fans play a huge part in what makes an NBA game difficulty. Or difficult, right? And not just the NBA game, you know, any sport, whether it's football, whether it's baseball, whether it's soccer, the fans have a huge part in that. And again, they eliminated that. <laughs> so, like, two big things that make winning a regular NBA championship difficult was just completely swiped away, right? Now, I can understand their, where they're coming from in regards to the level of competition in and itself, was raised a little bit. I can see that. Like, if you're just thinking about it, you're just so focused, you're just so locked in in basketball, yeah, you know, there's no outside distractions. Yeah, I can see how your game uh, would improve a little bit, right? For example, another player that had a great bubble run, <laughs> TJ Warren, or as I call him, MJ Warren. <laughs> he also had, like, a 50-ball in the bubble. I don't know if it was two. I don't recall. I know it was one for sure. He had a great, He had a great performance in the bubble. Fast forward to today, he's a solid player. He's not living up to what he was performing like in the bubble. Now he's coming. I'm pretty sure he's coming off the bench. I know he's in Brooklyn, and I think he's coming off the bench in Brooklyn. At that point in time, he was with Indiana, and he was going toe to toe with 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 uh, with Jimmy Butler. If you guys don't remember that, they were you know bickering back and forth. So that's a perfect example of like, yeah, you can see the the rise of competition, right? In, in reach new levels and because oppo- as opposed to uh, uh, a regular game but just because the competition is harder doesn't necessarily mean the game is harder because like I said they're not dealing with these back-to-back games they're not dealing with this traveling I'm um, you know they are dealing potentially with back-to-back games but they're not dealing with the having to travel to play back-to-back games they're not having to deal with a rowdy crowd a rowdy fan base like Boston or Utah or any any uh, 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 opposing fan base in general, right? So there's little nuances that they didn't have to go through in the bubble that they have to go through on a regular basis, like right now, that make winning a championship difficult. So I just thought it was, <laughs> I just thought it was an interesting take on their part. Obviously, they would know more than us uh, about it, and. 
to them, they're just saying, you know, the level of competition was higher. They're not necessarily making it sound to, you know, uh, uh, making it say it was harder to win those games as opposed to right now. I think they were just trying to say everybody was playing at a different level. Everybody was slightly better than usual because they were so locked in and so zoned in. And I just thought that was interesting because I've heard the sentiment before from LeBron. And then when I heard it from Jamal, I'm like, yeah, I was still skeptical. But then after Donovan said it, not because I'm a Donovan fan, I'm like, you know what? Well, Donovan said it. I agree. <laughs> you know, whatever Donovan says goes. No, it was just kind of like, all right, if three players are saying it right. And, and Donovan did a really good job at explaining his, his point of view. Obviously, I'm not saying Jamal didn't because I just didn't really hear it because I didn't really I didn't watch that podcast. But Donovan laid it out pretty well, and I'm like, okay, when he put it when he put it in, into that perspective, into those terms, it made sense, and I can see where they're coming from. So, yeah, man, I just wanted to bring that up and, and try to get, you know, see if you guys think of it the same way, how you guys feel about how uh, the bubble. Do you guys think, was it harder to win? Do you guys think the level of competition rose? Um, how do you guys view it? You know, obviously, we weren't there, so we don't know, so we just have to take their word for it. But, yeah, I just wanted to talk about it and discuss how I, I thought that was a little interesting, but also add the factor of what a regular uh, NBA competition looks like and how it's difficult in its own right. But we just have to take the word for it, I guess. <laughs> so now moving on to my final topic. Um, like I said at the beginning of the show, I have a new segment that I want to introduce, and it's called Team of the Week. And you guys are probably thinking, well, what the heck is Team of the Week? <laughs> Let me explain. So... If you guys are anything like me, you guys probably get, you might feel overwhelmed with the amount of teams, the amount of players, the amount of games that are happening all the time. Well, games happening all the time, right? But just the amount of teams and the amount of players that there are in this league, right? And you might feel like, well, how can I watch every single one of them? It's impossible, right? And like I said at the beginning of the show, I've made it a point of emphasis this year to watch more basketball. So this segment, I'm calling it Team of the Week because every week I'm going to select one team that I'm going to follow for a whole week. I'm going to watch every single game that they play in that week. And I'm going to try to give you guys a breakdown of what I saw in that week. So that way, if you didn't watch them, I got you. <laughs> and then if you guys have league pass i'll tell you guys can go back and watch them that week or you know pay attention to them moving forward so that is what team of the week is going to be okay now the team that i chose to follow this week was the utah jazz and the reason why i went with utah was because they were the biggest surprise to me <laughs> until the first week of the season now i know like the first topic of conversation I had was the surprise. The two or the biggest surprises for me this week, they were definitely one of them, but I didn't want to talk about them because I was going to talk about them now. <laughs> but when they went, they started the season 1-0. They started the season 2-0. And once they got to 3-0, I was like, what the heck is going on in Utah? <laughs> like, they're supposed to be the bottom of the barrel. They're supposed to be tanking for Victor Wembanyama, you know, and that's what the team was set up to be. And at, once it got to 3-0, I'm like, let me go back and watch these games. Because the first three games that they won, it was against the Denver Nuggets, uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves, and the New Orleans Pelicans. 
those were the first three wins that they got entering the season. All three of those teams are playoff teams. So they started off the season beating three potential playoff teams. Then they went to Houston, they lost, and then they just beat Houston last night. So their record to the first week of the season is 4-1. and one. And for future teams, I'm just going to give you guys the record of how they of, of the record that week that I started following them. So the Jazz, the week that I'm following them, <laughs> which is the first week of the season, it, it was pretty easy. They're 4-1, okay? They're... Watching them play was is actually kind of fun. I'm not gonna lie, man. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. At least through the first week, I'm not gonna sit here and say, "Oh, they're gonna be fun to watch all season long." Because to be honest, I don't know of uh, about. I don't know if what they're doing is sustainable. You know, I'm I'm just gonna flat out and say that now. I don't know if what they're doing is sustainable, but up until now, at this point, they are fun to watch. <laughs> um. Here are some of the things that have stood out to me um, as I watched them this week, okay? The biggest thing that stood out to me <laughs> is that they don't even have any borderline all-star caliber players on this team as of right now. Like, this team is constructed with nothing but role players. And ironically, I think that's kind of helping them because they're playing like they have nothing to lose. And... <laughs> they're supposed to be taking for Victor. <laughs> That's why they traded the entire roster from last year, essentially. <laughs> but their entire starting lineup is filled with nothing but role players like Mike Conley, who was an all-star a couple years ago, but that's because the Jazz were the number one seed. I think he's past that. I don't think he's all-star caliber anymore. Jordan Clarkson, don't think he's all-star caliber. The only one that's close, and that's because he's kind of climbing up there, is Laurie Markinen. And I don't think he's all-star caliber. Now I'm saying he's the closest out of the five. I'm not saying he's close in the sense of he's like right there all-star caliber. No, he's he's not there. But he's the closest on, on this roster. Then they got Kelly Olenek and Jared Vanderbilt, who, to be honest, I've never seen play. I've only heard of him and I've heard of how good of a defender he is. But I've never really watched him play. And they acquired him... Um, in the trade for Rudy Gobert, marketing was acquired through the trade for uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell. But yeah, man, like this team is just constructed with nothing but role players and they're playing like it. And <laughs> I mean, they're playing like they don't have a, the chip on their shoulder. They're just out there just playing ball and they're playing very good. <laughs> like they're playing very, very good. They're playing like a team that's been together for a couple of seasons, like the chemistry that they have. Um, the way that they they know each other already, like the they know uh, uh, where a player's gonna be, the passing, um, the facilitating, it's crazy. It's it's I'm not gonna say it's like <laughs> Warriors level or San Antonio Spurs in their prime level, like nothing crazy like that. But it's it's surprising, is what I'll say. Okay. The other thing that's that's surprising to me is kind of going off of that is that they are their assist rates. Okay, this is going to like towards their team uh, uh, statistics. They're top two in assist rate, and they're 16th in ball movement. So what does that mean in terms of the assist rate? That they're a top two team in scoring off assists. So that tells you how unselfish this team is. And they're slightly below average in ball movement at 16th. But here's the interesting stat, that they were both 29th in, the, in each of these categories last season. 
So drastically improve in their assist rate and drastically improve in their ball movement. Other thing that surprised me, their bench. They have the third best bench in the league. They're averaging 45 points a game from their bench. That's what they're getting from their bench on a nightly basis. 45 points a game. And the players who are heading that bench is Malik Beasley, Colin Sexton. These guys, when they come into the game, man, you just feel a shift within the team. Like Malik Beasley is a solid shooter. No, let me rephrase that. He is a terrific shooter. Like the kid is not afraid to let that ball <laughs> go. He was also acquired in a trade for uh, Rudy Gobert. So I haven't never really watched him play either because I honestly I didn't really pay attention to, to Minnesota. Um, <laughs> um, but Malik Beasley, man, he can really let it fly. He's only averaging like 11 points a game, but he's shooting like over 40% from three. So he's a solid shooter. He's definitely someone like the Lakers could use. <laughs> Uh, but I like him, man. I like him a lot. Um, he's a confident shooter, and he can really, really let it fly, and he and he hits them. The other guy that's coming off the bench, like I said, is Colin Sexton, and he's also having a solid season so far. He's averaging 12 points a game off the bench. He had a great game against Denver. He had like 20 points, a couple assists, but he had some big buckets um, for them in, in that game. Um, so both these guys, man, when, when they come into the game, you feel a shift. You feel a shift in, with this team. Um the other guy that comes off the bench, he's a rookie. I can't remember his first name. His last name is Kessler. Can never remember his first name. He's a center. They just dropped him out of Auburn. Um, I think he led the SEC in blocks for like two years in a row or something. Solid defender. Um, solid shot blocker. You can tell he's got a good post presence offensively. Like he's got a solid uh, touch around the paint, you know, uh, around the rim. Uh, so solid players, solid, uh, acquisition. He got, they, they acquired for the, the Rudy Gobert trade as well. Um, now as far as their starters go, man, like I said, I never really watched Jared Vanderbilt play, but this kid is a solid defender. He's a great defender. He's like their, their, uh, the, the dirty work player. He's the one that hustles for the ball. He cleans up the glass. He does all the dirty work on this, on this team and he does a freaking good job at it. Let me tell you, he's a solid, solid defender. Um, he just does a lot of things well, and I like the kid a lot. Um, Kelly Olynyk, man, <laughs> this is gonna be sound like a crazy comparison, okay? But let me let me explain. Kelly Olynyk, man, when he shoots, it reminds me of Ray Allen. <laughs> but let me explain. Like I said, in the sense of when he shoots, I'm like that ball's going in. It is going in. It is the craziest thing. This, you know, what he's shooting from three? He's shooting seventy eight percent from three. Off three and a half attempts a game. 78%. He's almost at 80% from three. That is crazy, man. Crazy. He just lets him. And no, it doesn't matter how. Spot up in transition. Step back. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm, I I haven't watched Kelly Olenek play in a long time. I haven't watched him since he developed the shot. But he can really let it fly. Markinen, he's like their best offensive player. He's averaging, I think, like 22 points a game. Um, he's hit some big shots here and there for them. Um, he's he's their go-to player. He, they're running the offense through Markinen um, and a little bit of Clarkson, but uh, definitely Markinen. But it just seems like it's just an overall effort on on this team. But Markinen is leading that team with like 22 points a game, um, and he's having a solid year. He really is. He's kind of developing into the player that I had hoped he would have developed for the Bulls, but it didn't happen because he was always injured. 
<laughs> but it seems like marketing is kind of coming in on his own. So this team, man, is solid. Some other things that stood out to me, uh, uh, some team stats that I didn't get to that I didn't mention. They are top six offense in the league right now. Top six. Um, their defense is 11. They're almost a top 10 defense. So they're almost a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense. They're a top 10 shooting team. They're shooting like 39% from three. Thanks to Kelly Olenek. <laughs> but just overall, man, they, they're they solid shooters. Um, uh, uh, and Beasley, Olenek, Clarkson, uh, Markinen, even Conley can hit um, his threes from time to time. Yeah, man, I've just been really, really surprised with the Utah Jazz. And if I don't know how long this is going to last, but as long as it's, it's going, I recommend you guys watching them because they're 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 really fun. You know, I, again, I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think it's going to last very long. Um, I feel like Danny Ainge is probably <laughs> mad that they're winning. They're 4-1 right now. They're at the top of the West. <laughs> um, I think Danny Ainge is probably really mad right now because, like I said, they're supposed to be tanking for Victor. So I wouldn't be surprised if he makes some more trades. He's like, no, this isn't – my team is too good. They're, they're <laughs> it's either that or they're putting on a facade right now to to kind of show that they're not actually tanking but they actually are so they're faking in they're really playing a lot of effort right now and then it's going to go downhill from here but while it's while they're hot man i definitely recommend you guys watch i'm not going to tell you guys go back and watch <laughs> these previous games unless you guys want to i definitely maybe recommend watching the the t-wolves game and the pelicans game because both those game went uh games went to overtime and those are actually pretty good games man i'm not gonna lie so if there was two games I'd recommend you guys watch during that week, it would be the T-Wolves and the Pelicans game. But, yeah, man, overall, the Utah Jazz definitely caught me by surprise, caught the entire league by surprise. And they're playing terrific basketball, man. And I, if they continue to play like this, definitely recommend you guys can pay attention and, and, and watch some of their games, man, because they're fun. <laughs> and that's going to be it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And as always, make sure you guys like, comment, and subscribe on wherever you're listening from. Make sure you guys follow me on all my social media platforms at AroundTheNBA underscore podcast. And other than that, man, see you guys next week.